two missing girls. I haven't seen my daughter in, in over a month. I don't know what happened to her. A decade of mystery. Ten years ago today, Kara Kopetsky disappeared. Security video shows her walking out of her Belton High School, and no one has seen her since. One thing in common. Kara's ex-boyfriend, Kyler Used. Kyler Used in the custody in Edwards, Missouri. Kyler Used. It's Kyler Used. Kyler Used. And the murder trial that could end it all. I don't know anything about where she is or about what happened. I wish I did. Journey for Justice, the trial of Kyler Eust. Kyler, where's Jessica? I have no idea, sir. A limited series on 41 Files by 41 Action News. Welcome back to our limited series, The Case of Kyler Eust on 41 Files by 41 Action News. I'm Caitlin Brown, and I'm a digital producer at 41 Action News. I'm Haley Godber, and I'm also a digital producer. And today we are joined by a guest... Um, and that's me. I'm uh, Sarah Plague. I'm a reporter here at 41 Action News. So just a reminder, um, the trial of Kyler Eust is coming up and this podcast uh, is meant to help refresh you on the case details. Um, since this case has been in a decade in the making and there's so many minute details, we wanted to kind of um, give people a more detailed overview before this coverage really starts in earnest. Um, so what we'll go over um, today is the people involved in this second missing persons case, um, which eventually turned into a murder case, um, kind of the timeline. And um, Sarah is going to give us some additional perspective. That's right. right. And remember, you can follow along at kshb.com slash use trial. We have all of the case details listed out there and you can follow along while we talk. And so where we left off last time is Kara Kapetsky went missing on May 4th in 2007. Her ex-boyfriend, Kyler Eust, was the main suspect in her disappearance, but we haven't found a body or have any reason yet to believe she is confirmed dead. So it is now 2016. And to remind y'all what was going on in 2016, a far cry from 2021 when we're recording this, the Zika virus was the main concern at the time. Um, Barack Obama was the first president to visit Cuba since Calvin Coolidge. Harambe the gorilla was killed and a lot of people were very upset about that and it was also the year of the Pulse nightclub shooting in Orlando yeah and that feels to me like it just happened it's hard to believe it's already been five years so also in 2016 the UK has voted to leave the European Union um, Pokemon Go was released and I was in college at the time and <laughs> it was just it was so hard to walk anywhere like people always on their phones Admittedly, I was one of them occasionally. <laughs> um, also of that year, the Rio Olympics took place. Um, and that was the first Olympics to take place in South America, actually. Um, and then, of course, later that year, Donald Trump was elected president. We are back in Belton, Missouri for this portion of the case. So Jamie Runyons reports her daughter, Jessica Runyons, missing on September 10th of 2016. Uh, Jessica was 21 at the time, and she had been at a party in Grandview, which is slightly north of Belton, but still south of Kansas City, Missouri. And um, she was last seen at that party on September 8th, and she was with Kyler Eust and had not been heard from since. Investigators determined witnesses last saw her at 11 p.m., and they left in a black 2012 Chevrolet Equinox that belonged to Jessica 
witnesses told the police that Kyler was drinking heavily and he was acting possessive of Jessica and aggressive towards others and that the two were arguing. So Sarah, I want to bring you in here. Like, do you remember what was the relationship between Kyler and Jessica? Were they dating at the time? Well, from what I know, Jessica had been with another um, guy, like she had another boyfriend at the time. Um, but from my understanding, she and used used to talk. So, you know, when we say we used to talk, that means, you know, we were kind of together, kind of not. Um, but at that time they were not boyfriend and girlfriend. Jessica was with, with someone else. And that's kind of what people were confused about. Um, when it came out that she had left the party with used, people were wondering, well, where was her boyfriend at? Why did she leave the party with used? That kind of thing. Yeah. And do you remember what the relationship was like between Jessica and her mom, Jamie? Were they close? Like, was it just them? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Jessica has sisters. Um, Jessica has a really tight knit family, um, her mom and her aunts, um, you know, and then on just extended family members and they were all really close. They were all tight knit. Uh, Jessica and her mom talked all the time. And so obviously when you're that close with your mom and you text all the time, it's, you know, you know, something's wrong when, when they don't answer. Um, if I could for a minute, just go back to the point, um, witnesses were saying Kyler was acting possessive of Jessica. Um, and Sarah, you said they used to talk, but Jessica was kind of maybe involved with another guy at that time. Um, in our last episode, we talked about how, um, Kyler had similar jealousy with Kara, um, and uh, he kidnapped her on April 28th, um, and that was kind of prompted by her talking to another guy. So just kind of some parallels there between the two cases. Yeah, and you know, I I don't really know too much in, in detail about uh, Jessica's relationship with Kyler, um, but I think knowing what we know um, yeah, definitely those, those parallels are easy to, to point out. Moving on September 9th, um, a little after 10 PM, another family rep family member reports Jessica missing, um, to the Kansas city, Missouri police department. Um, and they, they do that when they're not able to get in touch with Jessica. Um, and she's never seen alive again after that party. No one hears from her again after that party. Um, and she was supposed to have her doctor's appointment on that same day, September 9th. Um, but she never met up with her mother there. So to recap, she was at the party on September 8th. On September 9th, um, an unnamed family member in the court documents reports her missing to the Kansas City Police. And then on September 10th, her mom reports her missing to Belton Police. The same day on September 10th, when she's listed as a missing person, the Kansas City, Missouri Fire Department responded to a car fire. It was at 95th Street and Blue River Road in Kansas City, Missouri. That's in Jackson County. And it was around 1.41 a.m. that they found uh, this car fire. Turns out it was Jessica's car that Kyler and Jessica had left the party in. Sarah, like, what was it like in the newsroom when they found Jessica's car? Like, was it immediately connected? Like, what was going on? Oh, man. I When that happened, um, everyone felt like things weren't going to turn out well. Um, you have her car, it, it, just one thing started, you know, happening uh, after another, you know, she goes missing, can't find her, her car turns up burnt to a crisp. Um, and then 
you know, and, and we'll probably get to this here in a minute, then you get to, you know, kind of the next couple of days and Eust uh, was arrested for the charges uh, relating to burning her car. So he gets arrested for that. And then you see his mugshot um, where it looks like he, um, you know, you can kind of see how his face uh, had a really bad sunburn. That's kind of what I can compare it to. And so people just um, immediately start kind of connecting the dots, um, even though at the time, you know, we didn't, we still don't know how this trial is going to turn out. But when you start seeing those things pile up, um, people are, are kind of starting to, to, to think that Jessica is not going to be found alive. So that same day, September 10th, a witness comes forward to police um, in court documents. He's identified as JC. And we can assume from other things we know about the case that this is Jessup Carter, mm -hmm. um, who is Kyler Youth's stepbrother. So Jessup tells Felton police that he was with Kyler and Kyler told him that he had strangled and killed Jessica and just said she was gone. Um, he told Jessup that he dragged her body into a wooded area, um, but couldn't get her very far in. He also said that Kyler wanted him to help burn Jessica's car and Jessup saw him set her car on fire. And so Sarah, you mentioned his mugshot looked like he had a sunburn and Jessup told police at the time that Kyler had burned his hands and face when he was doing that. So Jessup to take Kyler to his home in Edwards, Missouri to heal from those wounds. Um, and then he called police uh, when he was able to get away from Kyler. Right. So you've got Kyler's own family turning him into police for burning this car. And so that's pretty solid testimony. And on September 11th, so the day after she was reported as a missing person at 9.36 in the morning, a search warrant was served at Jessup's mobile home in Benton County in Edwards. Um, that was the Benton County Sheriff and the Missouri State Highway Patrol that conducted that warrant search, and they took Kyler Use into custody. Like, Sarah, you mentioned what it was like kind of piecing things together slowly. What was it like when Kyler was finally arrested? Oh my God. It was, um, it, it was for me, uh, personally, it was like, I got, I got chills and I, it was just this feeling of just nervousness. Um, but also, um, I don't want to say excitement cause it, it wasn't, it, it's not like that. It, it was just, I I'm having a hard time kind of, uh, putting into words how that felt. It was just, you just got chills. Uh, I think that's the best way to describe it because you've got two girls who are linked by the same guy. And for the longest time, you know, people have been um, saying, uh, you know, that Cara needs justice. And then now we've got Jessica Runyans who is with the same guy. And it, it was just everything kind of piling up on top of each other. And um, yeah, every, you could just feel it in the newsroom um, that this was huge. And it also started kind of giving us an idea of like, where's Jessica and are we going to find Cara too? So her body wasn't found in the burning car. And, you know, he mentioned that he told Jessup that he had dragged her into the woods. So like, with no body, how was Jamie Runyon's and the rest of the family? How did they react to this arrest? 
Yeah, that that part was was still crazy because, you know, her burn car was found. He was charged, you know, arrested, charged even before she was found. And so at that point, they still were doing searches. They were still saying, you know, we just want to get Jessica home because obviously the family, you still have to hold out hope that your loved one is going to be alive, um, even though you've got all of these things that are probably telling you otherwise, but, um, they were still searching. They were still very hopeful. Um, I think Jamie Runyon's, her mom didn't really talk that much. It was uh, a lot of her, like, it was like Jessica's grandma or, you know, other family members. Um, but they had said, you know, look, we're just glad that he, uh, used, um, you know, he's, he's arrested and maybe something will come out of that. Um, they were just kind of trying to just, um, hold out hope, but at the same time say, look, I think that, you know, the, law enforcement's going to take over from here. Yeah. I can't even imagine Sarah, you described that feeling of like nervousness and I can't even imagine what the family was feeling, you know, like, like you said, you want to hold out hope, but then there's all of these circumstances. Um, so it just like, you can really feel for them in that moment. Yeah. Um, so eventually Jessica's body is found. Um, that happens on April 3rd, 2017. That's about seven months later from when she went missing. A witness tells the Cass County Sheriff's Department he found human remains near 233rd Street and Y Highway. Uh, in our coverage later, we found out that he was a mushroom hunter um, and he came across those remains. Law enforcement officers go out there and they find the remains as well, including um, a skull and bones. And then... Um, just a day later on April 4th, they find a second body, um, which is clearly an older set of remains. And Sarah, can you, can you talk about what was, what that was like the day that the two days there that they found both of those sets of remains? Oh, again. And I just got chills all throughout my body, just thinking about that because you know, your heart starts pounding and you're like, oh my God, this is it. Um, you know, once they said they found a set of human remains and then they identified it as Jessica, I mean, it was just like, it's just so much heartbreak because you wanted her to come home alive. But at the same time, you're like, Oh my God, I, like this is, thank God they found her. And then you find out about another set of bones. Who else could that be? It's Kara. And it was just like mind blowing. And everybody was just like almost in like a panic or just frantic in the newsroom because I mean, this is like the, this ties back to one of the biggest stories I think in the last decade. And, um, you know, everybody knew, uh, I, I knew everybody knew. And if you're from Kansas city, like you, you remember Kara Kavetsky and you know that story and it's like, I, it's unbelievable, but you just feel just this overwhelming sense of like just sadness because, you know, they, what you thought happened really did happen and they're not coming home alive. But then you also think, you know, they were out there together, you know, and that's, and that hits you in a different way. And that's what, um, Jamie Runyon's has said and Cara's mom, uh, Rhonda Beckford, they've, you know, they were out there together and that's the one piece of, this whole thing that maybe gave them some solace is like our girls were together and they're always going to be together. It's sad. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's really powerful. And I was wondering too, if there was any sense of closure, you mentioned that, you know, Jessica's mom was just saying, I just want her, I just want her home. Was there any sense of closure after the, their bodies were found that, okay, they're found, they're coming home. We can lay them to rest now. Yeah. I mean, at least they had that, um, because I know with other families who are, are missing a loved one, they, I mean, you don't know, they don't know where their loved ones are at, but in this case, finally they found out 
where they are so that they could give them a burial, give them a place where they can go visit them. Uh, um, it's, it's, uh, not the outcome obviously they wanted, but at least that, that they knew where their girls finally were. So I guess it's, it's not full, full closure because then you think about justice and what needs to happen after that. But yeah, they were happy to have their girls back. Right. And just to circle back on the timeline there, um, Jessica's body was identified two days after it was found at the Kansas city medical examiner's office. They used, um, DNA and dental records to identify her, but Kara's remains were so old that they could not process those locally. Those were sent to the FBI crime lab in Quantico, Virginia. And so she wasn't officially identified until August 16th. So several months later, like, do you remember what it was like waiting for that positive confirmation? Oh my gosh. It was like, um, you know, it, you wanted to just find out then and there. I mean, cause like I said, all everybody in Kansas city, I feel like once that news came out, they already knew it was Kara. Like, like I said, who else could it be? But you just were praying like day after day, day after day, day that somehow they would uh, finish their analysis sooner or, you know, just so we could all know. Um, but yeah, it, when that did finally happen, it's like 10 years later, you know, 10 whole years. And you just hoped so bad that the family would someday get justice. And then like 10, you know, 10 years pass and you wonder if they're ever going to find her. And then, I mean, then she was, and she'd been missing for 10 years, a whole decade. Yeah. This, this moment in time sticks out to me. Um, just because it was not too long after I started working in our newsroom and I was kind of getting reacquainted with this case after having grown up in Kansas city and kind of hearing about it. Um, but I just remember the day we found out that it was Kara. I remember our assignment editor, Steve Couch, just standing up behind the assignment desk and shouting across the newsroom, it's Kara. And then it was just like heads down work, get that news out there. And that's just like, that's one of the moments in time that really like is kind of frozen in memory for me. For me, you know, you want to cry and, um, cause it's just a, such a powerful moment. And, um, but then you still have to do your work and, and you still have to work on, uh, trying to organize getting out this news and getting interviews with the family and things like that. I mean, it was just everybody all hands on deck. So, um, it, yeah, that, that was, that's probably a moment I'll, I'll always remember from, from being in our, in our newsroom. Yeah. Right. And I think so, it's hard to separate that stuff as young women who grew up in Kansas city. And for, you said you were the same age as Kara and Haley and I aren't that far off either. Like we remember this and we were almost stakeholders in the story. Cause these were just two girls who seemed to be in the wrong place at the wrong time with the wrong people. And mm. so I'm, yeah. I, yeah, I remember it too. Yeah. It's crazy. And so eventually October 5th of 2017, police finally decide they have enough information and they bring two counts of murder and two counts of abandonment of a corpse against Kyler use in Kara and Jessica's deaths. So that's the trial we are moving to now. So think about that. He was charged in 2017 and it's now 2021 when we hope this time we'll get to the trial and just figure out what really happened? Is Kyler guilty? Is he not guilty? What will the families get to learn about this case? Sarah, we kind of want to now just ask you a little bit more about your perspective on this case um, and kind of 
your perspective too, as a Kansas City and in addition to as a reporter. So Caitlin and I talked about on the last episode, um, we grew up in Kansas City as this case was unfolding. You did as well. You went to school at KU in Lawrence, which is not terribly far away as this was all happening. Um, can you talk about what you remember from that time and how you saw it affect um, the city? Yeah, actually, when this happened, when Carl went, Carl Kapetsky went missing, um, she was 17 at the time. I was also 17 at the time. Um, I've talked to her family and I'm like, I, I, I just want to tell you how sorry I am for everything because, you know, it hits me. Uh, it hits me because Cara, Cara's birthday is like a couple of days after mine. I mean, she would be my age right now. I mean, we're, and, and to have this happen and to have her go missing for that long. And then all of this happens, uh, you know, bam, 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 they're found and then the charges and, um, it affected me, um, to just think about what if that were me? Um, and then all, you know, in 2016 and stuff, I had just, I, I had been with the station here at 41 for, um, a year or so, um, a little over a year. And these are some of the biggest stories that has, that have ever hit Kansas city that have happened in Kansas city and the surrounding areas. And, um, people who don't even, know them, know these families are invested. They're invested. They care about these girls. And that's kind of where, where I said, um, that it affected me. I mean, I didn't even know Cara Kapetsky back then I was 17. I was in high school, seniors in high school. And, you know, and then to think about me now in my profession, I've gotten, I've, I've been able to grow up. <laughs> I've, I've been able to uh, graduate from college and get this job. And now I'm reporting on this disappearance. Um, so it just, it, it, you know, whether you're in my position or just, you know, anybody else in Kansas City, like you care about these people, even though you don't even know them. Right. And you mentioned talking to Cara's family, and I know you've talked to Jessica's family too. How do you even go about building a relationship with these family members when they're experiencing such loss and it's just your job to talk to them and get this coverage out there? How do you, where do you start? Well, you just reach out and say, I'm sorry. You know, I'm so sorry for everything. And you, you want to let them know that, uh, you are reaching out to them as a human being first, you know, and, and, and probably, and a reporter second. And I think that's the way that um, I've been able to uh, establish uh, communications with Jamie Runyon's so well. And, and, you know, she calls me and tells me stuff every now and then, or calls me and kind of, uh, you know, discusses some things with me. And, you know, every time I go to one of these hearings um, for, for use and, and the family's there, all of them, they are always there every single time. And they'll, you know, say, Hey, we'll, we'll see you later. And, um, we'll kind of get together after the fact and after the hearing's over and just kind of chat and kind of touch base a little bit. And it's just, um, being there to listen to whatever they have to say, not being pushy about it because the family they're they're they haven't done interviews for a very long time. They want to wait until after the trial, which is very smart. Um, so it, just knowing that I respect them and I respect their boundaries, but always, you know, letting them know that I'm here to listen. Um, and then so that the second they're ready to talk and ready to be on camera, I already know all this information that they have been wanting to say and I'm ready. So, um, but really it's just connecting with them on a personal level um, and just saying, you know, I, I care about, I, I care about what's happening to you. So 
um, I, there, there is a, there's a, a line, you know, balance because when you're reporting on a case like this, I, you know, you can't be biased obviously, but at the same time, when you've got family members who have lost somebody, um, you've got to be very, um, empathetic. Yeah. And Sarah, I'll say just watching, I've been here almost four years now, just watching you cover this story. You've, you've walked that line tremendously well between having that sensitivity with the family and still being able to do your job and report on this case. Um, so I kind of wanted to get your input, you know, we're coming up on the trial here. If it doesn't get delayed in any way, jury selection is going to begin at the end of March. What are some of the major themes that you think are going to come out in the case in this trial? Um, you know, some examples could be Kyler's abusive past. You know, he was convicted in the past of abusing a woman that he was dating. Um, a lot of people take issue with Belton police's handling of this case. You know, what are what are some things you think come up in the trial that have been talked about over the last decade? Oh man, well, what's going on right now is I think uh use defense, they're they're kind of trying to th- to throw things out there, um, to see what sticks. Um, they're, they're trying to, uh, bring up other evidence that, you know, maybe, uh, not all of, um, not everything was presented to the original, um, investigators or the investigators didn't uncover as much as they could have back then. Um, they're trying to, they, they were trying to do a a change of venue. Um, and, uh, you know, the trials, it, you know, things are happening in St. Charles County. I mean, that, that was not surprising to me because, um, you, you risk bias if you have this trial in Cass County, because again, these are two huge cases and I guarantee you, everybody already knows about it. And so they wanted like a fresh pool of people, you know, in St. Charles County that, that are not going to really know, uh, or maybe are not already familiar with the case. Um, so there, I, I think what his defense is doing is, is again, that reason, reasonable doubt. Um, if they can present as many things as possible that says, hey, look, this wasn't investigated properly back then. And then that casts doubt on whether or not he's guilty. I mean, I think that's their, that's their approach here. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of stuff is going to come out that the public didn't know. Um, the extent of these everybody's relationships with each other and how they kind of interweave. I think that'll be really surprising. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I think we're going to hear from people in Kyler Youth's past who are going to talk about his character, what kind of man he is. And we've heard from a lot of people and it's been outlined in a lot of these court documents that, um, that a lot of people were scared of him, scared of him. Um, and, and, you know, I don't know if any of these people are going to be witnesses. Um, again, we've had a lot of people say, look, I can't, I don't want to say anything. I'm too scared. So it just, it's, um, you know, hearing that in court, I think is going to be very eye-opening. Thinking about, okay, it's been four years we've been waiting for this trial, whether there's a guilty verdict or not, what does this mean for the families, no matter the outcome? Like, has Jamie given you any indication of just what the finality of this will bring to them? Um, it's respecting the girls, you know, to the girls, to, to them, their girls have had to wait so long for justice to figure out, to say, this is what happened to them. This is who did it. You know, whoever that is, uh, whatever happens out of this trial, they want to be able to know that their girls were spoken for, that they were, somebody stood up for them and that this is, will all be put 
you know, this will all be done and they can move on and it will not move on, but, you know, try to work towards some sort of closure because as I said before, yeah, they've, they've been found and that's amazing, but um, there is no closure right now because this has continued to drag on for years and years and years. Um, and these families have to keep putting themselves together. They fall apart, put themselves back together all every single time. You know, if you think about having to go through this and having to sit there and look at the man who's been charged with murdering your daughter, um, and you've got to do this over and over and over again and sit through all these delays, um, years worth of delays, you know, that's tough. That's so hard for family. And I don't know how they, they keep themselves together. I really don't, but, uh, they've all kind of like Rhonda and Jamie, they've really become best friends in their support system. So at least they've got that kind of as three girls from Kansas city, we kind of have this feeling of it's going to bring a sense of closure to the city as a whole. Um, would you agree with that? Or like, do you have, do you have an idea of what this trial might mean for the city and the area as a whole? Yeah, it means that you know, we care, um, when things like this happen, um, we care about each other and we want to see some, we want to see justice. I, I feel like it'll be, um, a weight lifted in, in a sense, because we've all been following these cases for so long, so, you know, Cara back in 20, 20, I'm sorry, 2007. And then, you know, 10 years later, it's just been so long and agonizing to wait for this and uh, for to even get to a point where we might see some justice. And I think everybody is going to feel, you know, it's, I think everybody's going to feel not happy. It's, 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 devastating, but I, I, I feel like this will be a weight lifted off of a lot of Kansas city shoulders. Yes, I definitely agree. And again, we want to thank Sarah Plake for joining us and sharing her story. And we're excited that she'll be in the courtroom and get to see whatever this ending is. And she'll continue to bring you that coverage. Um, so we appreciate you, Sarah. And thank Oh, you absolutely. Yeah. Thank and you so for having me. Yeah, that's where we're going to leave off for this episode. Next time, we're going to dive more into just the case and some, you know, different points that are maybe a little gray, gray areas. And we're going to talk to one of our investigators, Andy Alcock, and um, just he's been on this a long time, like Sarah, and we're going to just get his opinion on some of the things and his reaction to some of the stories that he's heard along the way. Yeah, um, excited to hear some perspective from him as well. Um, just as a reminder, that was a lot of information again, um, and you can find all of it on our website. You can just go to kshb.com slash trial, and we have all of the case details there um, for you to review. Um, and until then, uh, I'm Haley Godburn. And I'm Caitlin Brown, and we'll bring you another episode of this limited series on 41 Files soon.